fit quickly. We're going to, I'm going to be teaching you today. This is very tricky. What I don't know is if this is the right height, if it is higher, shorter, whichever way it is. I can see you. You can see me, right? Yes. All right. The test comes when I can read my notes. Until then, we don't know if it's working or not. <laughs> but I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. I am so, so glad because I know God has something in store for you. I'm so glad you made it. I'm, I'm really, really glad you made it tonight. Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to attempt to tell you a joke. When I tell you that ahead, it means that I want you to laugh. Uh, so give me a quick laugh. How oh, you will laugh when I tell the joke, right? Okay. So I was, um, so there's a gentleman that has a friend who happened to be an atheist. An atheist is somebody that doesn't believe in any God or that there's any God anywhere. And this gentleman said, oh, it's so unfair that Christians have so many holidays. You've got Easter holiday. You've got uh, Christmas holiday. You know, even the Muslims have a holiday. The Jews, they have the young people. They have their holiday. I don't know what, what, you know, what holiday can we really give to us, the atheists? And his Christian friend looked at him and said, April 1st. <laughs> Did you laugh before because I said so or because you cut the joke? <laughs> you have made a godly decision. You are not a fool. Because the fool that says it is hard, there's no God. Okay, some of you just catching it now. And April 1st is Fool's Day. I mean, they don't do it so much here. Where I come from, I mean, they really trick you and they fool you. And if you have loads of siblings like I did, I was constantly falling. I mean, but, you know, <laughs> not because I wasn't quick, but because I was very trusting. So if you tell me something's happened somewhere, I run there only to realize and say, April Fool. And, you know, that happens every time. And I happened to be born in April, so my siblings used to call it the month of fools. I don't know why. But I'm grateful to God. It's a month of Easter. It's a month of resurrection. But we're not in, we're not in April yet. I want us to, to lift up our hearts to God tonight. Father, thank you because your word will come. You have prepared the vessel to speak it. You have prepared the vessels to hear it. We receive grace to hear, to understand, and to do. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen and amen. Tonight I'm going to be sharing with you what I've titled, How to Guarantee God's Help. Our month is a month of divine help. And I realize that some people naturally just have help from God and some people just pray, 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 pray. You know, to even get any little thing done is a nightmare for some. Whereas some people, it just flows for them. And it sometimes looks like uh, it's an unfair situation. Um, last week, around the same time last week, we were in Israel. On Thursday, we went to a place called Shiloh. Uh, for those of us that have been prior to the last one, you haven't been to Shiloh. Um, those of us that went, the last one went to Shiloh. But there was an additional thing that they did in Shiloh. And um, the whole point of Shiloh is that they, that is the exact spot where the Ark of God was put, where the children of Israel uh, got into the promised land and they started worshipping God. So that spot. And um, one of the commentaries said that if you stand on a particular spot, you can still smell... Um, the incense or the, the, all the things that they put in the altar because it's where they call the place where the Holy of Holies are. But they won't let you get there because as far as the Jews are concerned, up till now, the Holy of Holies is still the Holy of Holies. So no touching, no going there. Um, and it was such an experience. And every time we get to, I mean, every time being the second time, really, uh, we get to the place. From the moment we get to uh, the gate or the door of the place, I'm not, when it comes to a place of encounter, I don't, I try and separate my emotions from encounter, but every single time we get to Shiloh, I encounter God from, from the very entrance of the place, and I hear God so clearly, and, and last 
you know, time, again, it happened to me. And, and, and I was wondering why that play place was special. And one of the things um, that said about that particular place, like we know in scripture, it's very hot. Or is it just me? Okay, it is extremely hot. My ears are burning. So one of the things I said about the place is that that is the place where the children of Israel go to worship God. And a time came that Eli's children were misbehaving so badly. And things were not going right in the kingdom. And people decided they wouldn't go again. Like deciding not to go to church because other people were misbehaving. Something like that. But the Bible said about Elkanah that it kept on going year in, year out. And every time I'm talking about it now, and I still feel, you know, that strong sense of a sense of commitment to God that is beyond any man. That is beyond anybody's behavior. That is beyond anything that is happening around. There were so many things. I mean, the, the prophet's children were misbehaving so badly that at some point, even Samuel subsequently had to call the prophet and say, why can't you correct your children? And you could tell that the man has lost the reins over the affairs of his home. But despite that, despite that, there was still a love for these people in God's heart. So much so that God still blesses them and blesses them continuously. And they did some really interestingly stupid things. I'm talking about the Israelites now from the tribe that was chosen to the old crowd. And, and I was looking at it and thinking, the man that God helps sometimes is not necessarily the man that does anything to be helped. So there are two sets of people that God helps. There is a set of people that God has just proclaimed the blessing on. Proclaimed, they just said, I'm going to help you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And they, that's the story of the Israelites. They do so many things wrong. You, but you just know that man, God just favors them. Uh, uh, someone was saying to us, our pastor friend that went with us was saying to us that he has a mate that said he wanted to run a business. And he said he's looking for a Jew because he knows that if he associates with a Jew, the business will prosper. <laughs> and I said, until you find out that they are as dubious as it comes. <laughs> Some of them are so dubious, it's unreal. Yet, God's hand is still upon them. So there is a set of people that God helps because he has proclaimed it. He said it. They're just favored of God. There's nothing you can do about it. But there's another set of people that can provoke the help of God. You see, the one that is just so by choice, you know, like it says, well, I have chosen uh, um, Jacob and then I've rejected his soul. There's nothing you can do about it. We call it the, um, the message of, of, of election. There's nothing you can do about it. So we can't start arguing, why did he choose this? Why not this? No, no, let's forget about that for now. That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is, just in case you are not the one that was proclaimed or the proclamation has not come upon you like you're not a Jew, you're not a physical Jew or a physical Israelite, how can you still find yourself in that covenant where God helps you no matter what? And that's what we want to talk about today, how to provoke the help of God. So for some people, it's proclaimed on them. It's been said concerning them. There's nothing you can do about it. But some people, they will need to provoke it. So I was wondering, um, if we go back to the scripture of the month in Deuteronomy chapter 33. We're going to read from verse 20, 26. It would be great if you have it on the screen. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you in his excellency on the cloud. Next verse. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath his everlasting hands, it will thrust out the enemies from before you, and it will say, destroy. That's the man that God is helping. Let's keep going. The, then Israel shall dwell in safety. That's you and I. So that's what we want to provoke or get into. So the fountain of Jacob alone in 
in a land of grain and new wine, and his heavens shall also drop dew. So your land will yield, your heaven will drop dew, you will be protected as well. Let's keep going. It says, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. And then the last verse, uh, let's keep going. And I think that's the last verse. It says, yeah, that's the last verse. You shall tread their high places. This is a man that God has chosen to love. This is a man that God has chosen to show his help to. And that's where you and I want to be, that no matter what happens, we're constantly helped of God. Now, how will that then happen for us? Uh, let's quickly turn to the scripture and read that, and I will teach you what I'd like to teach you tonight. So if you don't have a pen and paper, you wouldn't really enjoy this training tonight or teaching tonight. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Shall I have, will I have it up or shall I attempt to read it in my scripture here? Okay, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next, it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And it crossed my mind that this set of people are people that have not requested anything of God. He told them something and he gave them something. He said, go and make disciples. He said, then I will be with you. When he's with you, his help is with you. When he's with you, his protection with you. When he's with you, you can never lack any good thing. When he's with you, your story is like that of Deuteronomy chapter 33 we read earlier. But he says something. He says, go and do something so that I can reward you. And what he says to do is what Pia has been talking about recently, which is discipleship. Make, be one and make one. Be one and make one. And that has been really ringing in my spirit. So I was looking at it and I was thinking, how do you become a disciple it's that dead easy, as many of us will know, but how do you make a disciple? It's by a big word called influence. And that's what I want to teach you about today, influence. That's where we are going. If you will experience the help of God, provoke the help of God, you've got to be an influential person. But influence is not influence because of what we know it to be, which is Positional influence like many of us talk about or think about. So I'm going to teach you a lot about influence today. Influence is the power or the capacity of producing an effect in someone without exerting any energy. That's influence. The power or the capacity of producing results in somebody without exerting energy. You just live your life and then they just pick your life because you have changed them by not doing anything. You're not putting any force behind it. You're just doing your thing. But it is not just that. It is the power. It's the capacity. It brings effect that you can see. But influence is unseen, but produces seen results. You can't see influence, and that's why it's actually very, very powerful. Because it's something that is so subtle. But if you learn to live by consciously influencing the lives of the people around you positively, God cannot but put you in the column of people that it will help no matter what. That's the baseline of today's message. So be intentional about influencing your world. Be intentional. I was reading a little bit about influence. It said the force that is mightily at work when it comes to influence is exposure. You are influenced by anything that you're exposed to. If you find out that you are influenced by social media, you are, you are exposed to it. The man that is not exposed to social media can never be influenced by social media. 
So it's a function of exposure and the amount of time spent on something or with someone. If you spend a long enough time with somebody, you will talk like them. If you spend time long enough with somebody, you will see the world the way they see the world. So let's start with the place of influence. What are the places where we get influenced? So I said I'm going to teach you it's in three batches. The place of influence, the problem of ungodly influence, and then the power of godly influence, which is where I really want you to be. So let's start with the first place. What are the places of influence? The very first one is parental influence. Parental influence. If you have children, or if you are a child of somebody, whether you believe it or not, you are influenced by that person. Your attitudes, your character, your habits, all the primary things you do is a function of the home you're coming from. Because you're exposed. P used to call it, uh, that, he used to say that children are captive audience. They just look at you and they just do what you do. You don't even need to tell them how to do what you do. They just see you and they just do the same thing. Parental influence. There are many people in the Bible that are great parents and there were many that were horrible parents as well. If we're not conscious of the fact that as parents in the things we do we are actually affecting or influencing a generation we will be losing losing out on this key thing i'm about to talk to you on today as a parent you have the capacity to determine somebody's future just by the way you behave so i used to say or i still say it that parenting is not something to take lightly because it's such a lifelong responsibility you don't belong to yourself anymore because somebody is now watching you and wants to be like you. Or can choose not to be like you. There were godly parents in the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 1 talks about Timothy's grandparents, grandma. And you know, down that line they talk about the Christianity of that line just because of them. And the Bible says that God wants us to be godly parents. Train up your child in the way you should go. When he grow up, he will not depart from it. I want to say if you have a child, don't just educate yourself, your child in school. Don't just buy great clothing, great toys. It's half time again and they will take them here, there and the other without teaching them spiritual things. One of the worst things a parent can ever do to a child is not to expose them to the importance of Christianity. And if you're a parent, that's the first person you will influence. If you can influence that child rightly, you are, you are favored of God already. God will come down to help you. You know why? Because you have influenced the generation correctly. Now, the influence that comes when it comes to parenting is a function of the choices you make. Because when you make those choices, that child looks at you and decides in future whether to make that choice or not make that choice. The second type of place, or the second place where we get influence, sibling influences. Sibling influence, there are loads of them in the Bible. Um, siblings can influence you positively or negatively as well. I had a senior sister that was extremely stubborn or she's just mysterious and mischievous. She just comes up with all sorts of things. And, and, and she can go to bed now and wake up tomorrow with some weird idea that has no bearing whatsoever to my dad or mom. But then again, amongst all of us, she was the only one that went to boarding school. So I don't know whether she got that from there, but she came back home to siblings where six of us. So one person can easily influence all the other sibling influence. Some of you can actually think back and know that some of the things you do now is a function of the siblings that you were raised with. Or some of the things you run away from could also be a function of the siblings you were raised with. For instance, I don't fight physically because my younger brother used to beat me badly. So I said, I don't fight. So if, if, before he ever gets to the point of fighting, in my head I knew I was going to, I know I'm going to lose the fight. In school I don't fight. My senior sister makes sure at some point she got everybody in my class to beat me up. So I don't, I don't, I don't I have interest. In, they're really lovely people, but when they were young, they were weird people. I think I was that child 
that the parents love so much and the only way to get back at that child is to get back at the child in school. You know that kind of setting. <laughs> so I, I can't blame them. I really love them to bits, but they were weird people. My first recollection of primary school, my first recollection of primary school was being beaten by my senior sister's friends. <laughs> and I told her, she's only two years older than me, but for whatever reason, uh, anyway. <laughs> she had her issues, <laughs> whatever they were. So that's first beating. The second beating was my brother. He would just bully me over nothing. He would, I mean, he was just, he knew he could beat me, and then he just goes for it every time. So up to tomorrow, I don't fight. Because what comes to my mind is what happened to me as a young kid. Just in case I think I can beat this person and I can't beat them. So you know that kind of thing? So there are some things that are already in your mind and you run away from or you run towards based on the siblings that you influenced you. I was reading about, um, I've been studying about Joseph. I'm going to talk to you briefly about it over the course of this weekend. And, and I realized that Jacob had so many children. And in Genesis 37 verse 2, the Bible made us understand they were bad children. Jacob is a man of God. Well, okay, he had his issues too. But he was a covenant man. <laughs> but he had bad children apart from Joseph. The Bible says, and they all did bad things. Genesis chapter 37. If you read that scripture in verse 2, apart from Joseph. So it is possible to also be amongst, amongst brothers that are rubbish children. Look at that. It said, this is the story. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad uh, was with the sons of Bela and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report to them of them to his father, bad report. They were involved in bad things. Now, when you look at them individually, you realize that some of them have got very good behavior, but they were just hanging around bad ones. So it's possible to have siblings that lead you wrong, but it's possible to make up your mind you're not going to go down that route. When you look at Samuel, Samuel was raised alongside Eli's children. They were the worst children any father could have hoped for, but he made a choice. He stood for God. The man God will help is a man that makes a choice for God. The next one, spousal influence. Your spouse. Spouses can influence you positively or negatively as well. So I'm talking about backgrounds of influence or places where you get influence where you, so that you can be careful. Because if God wants to help you and he wants to help you, these are things you have to watch out for. Otherwise, you will be leaking blessings. You will be leaking his protection. Deuteronomy chapter 33 from verses 26 to the end is God's plan for you and I. But it can only come to pass if we walk in his pattern. So if you look at spousal influence, you look at Ananias and Sapphira. Somebody decided that they were going to lie when they get to the temple. And somebody said that another person should corroborate the story. And both of them died for it. Uh, I always say to people, and I still stand by that, never marry a person that will pull you down spiritually. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to a girl. If you're a girl, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. To marry somebody that doesn't value God the way you value God. And same goes for a guy. Because even though you are going in the same direction, you'll be on two different platforms. My mentor used to say that time, like, it's easier to pull down than it is to pull up. So be careful. When I was a single girl, that's what she kept saying to me. It's easier to pull down than to pull up. It doesn't matter how much and how long you've been building for. Someone can pull you down in one move. Spousal influence. If you don't have a spouse yet, make sure it's somebody that can pull you up. Make sure it's somebody that has integrity. Somebody that has character. 
somebody that genuinely loves God, somebody that is genuinely compassionate. But if you already have a spouse, make sure you pull each other out because the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So that is, there will be a time that you'll be stronger and the other party will be less strong, but you can pull each other up. But spouses influence each other. In 1 Kings chapter 2, Ahab was actually influenced by Jezebel to kill Naboth. It could be that bad. That a, a spouse will influence in such a way. I, can, I have seen people, I have seen some interesting scenarios where a gentleman has no problem with a family, but his wife had a misunderstanding with the family and the next thing he doesn't greet the whole family again. What is that? I have seen situations where people turn their back on their family just because a spouse said something that somebody meant or someone looked at them in a particular way. It's not even that they said, they looked. There's a way she looked at me when I got there, so we're not going again. Spousal influence. Be very mindful of spousal influence. I remember something that happened when I was a young kid. My, uh, my, my dad took all of us to go visit my mom's brother. My mom's brother was just being himself. So my mom has two siblings, one older, one younger, and she's the only girl, they're two boys. And we got visiting this uncle who doesn't really talk, and he was looking at us, and he was looking at my dad, and my dad was feeling uncomfortable by the minute, and I was probably only about, I remember, because I was still in primary school, the next thing my dad just said, let's go. So all of us followed my dad. And then my dad told my mom that he was looking at us with evil eye. What is evil eye? <laughs> What? How do you interpret evil eyes? <laughs> and he will never go there again. Until he got saved. I just thought, what is this? As a kid then, I was thinking, I didn't see the evil eyes. The man didn't know what to say to my dad. So he was just looking at him like transfixed that my dad came without my mom. He was probably just happy to see him. <laughs> Maybe. Well, in my child's eyes, that was what I saw. But, but a spouse can influence, and all of a sudden, we didn't go to their home again for quite a number of years until my parents got saved. So if you're not careful, you can find yourself in a situation where you make a decision based on what your spouse said, which is not even correct. It's an interpretation of something they think that might not have happened. Another influence, peer pressure or peer influence. And if you're young, particularly, this happens a lot to young people, but it happens to those of us that are more, not young either. I remember very, very clearly, if I, when I get back home, and I, when I was working in London, it's a lot better now. When I get back home and I use, I get easily influenced. So I'm very careful who I hang around. I know myself. You know, you need to know yourself. So I am very protective of my environment. So when I get, you know, if you're new in my team and you repeat a phrase, I tell you by the time I get home, I'm repeating that phrase. My brain just picks it up. I don't understand so by the time I say three statements, the moment I walk through the door, the first thing Pastor Eddie asks me is, so who just joined your team? <laughs> and guess what? Somebody has just joined the team. I have not even analyzed what they say and how they say it. I have just picked it up without noticing that I've picked it up. But as God will have it, uh, God, the helper of my destiny, he put a helper of destiny beside him that is very sensitive, that picks things up. Some of us pick things very quickly and easily from peers or peers, peers. So be very careful, particularly all the younger ones that are here. Or if you know yourself that you are like me, you pick things up easily. Be very mindful of who you are around. Because if you pick things up easily, you will soon pick up bad behavior. Um, there's this gentleman in the Bible that became a king, Solomon. 
and, and after Solomon came his children, then Rehoboam became a king. And when Rehoboam became the king, he asked the elders, so what should we do about this people or this land? And the elders gave him advice. But his peers gave him an advice that is totally contrary to every single thing the elders did. And he went with what the peers said. And the Bible said the kingdom was divided. Till today, the kingdom was divided because of one man listening to a bunch of people, his mates. Be very careful of your mates. If you can't influence your mates, don't hang around those mates. You know yourself. You know yourself. It's so easy to know. And I will explain that to you in a minute. Another set of influence that can easily get to us is positional influence. Positional influence. If you're a leader, you have to be careful. I remember very, very clearly when I was first going to be made uh, uh, an executive in my Christian Union group. I remember the gentleman that I was taking over for me said, you, you're no longer living for yourself. I didn't understand it. I, I actually felt that it was just being unnecessarily difficult because it was the then prayer secretary and I was going to become the prayer secretary. And he said, you, from now onwards, you are no longer yourself. You are prayer secretary. I said, I don't want a title. I just want to be me. I just want to live my life myself, my way. He said, no. He said, now everything you do is being watched. I was still sharing with somebody earlier on today that I never knew how stressful that was until I started dating uh, P. So we were friends. And I remember I have a class, a roommate, uh, who happened to come from Deeper Life. I was sharing with one of the girls earlier on today. She called me, you know, we needed to chat. So this lady is from Deeper Life, which is a, a, a more serious Puritan sect than the one I was in. That's the only way I can put it. So they actually they are, you know, they're a little bit more interesting than where I was. So so put it this way. So PE's group was like here. I was like here. The deeper life people are like here. <laughs> Very close to heaven. <laughs> And it was such a tough one. You know, I didn't even know how tough it was until, so, you know, she said to me, oh, are you and this person dating? I said, no, because genuinely we were not dating. We're very good friends. But you're always spending too much time together. At this prayer time, you're spending together. You have to be careful. And I, and I get it. I get it. The worst part of it is that she was even bunking with me. It's my room. She was... You know, and then she was like, she was in the first year or second year. I was in my semi-final year. So by all means, she shouldn't even, you know, but anyway, so things then moved on. And we started cutting stroke, what you call dating. Then I started panicking about how to tell this girl <laughs> who I have told I wasn't dating this guy, that I are now dating. That's number one. Number two, I said... I said, okay, I don't know what to do. Okay, I know what to do. We're going to go to, so we went to, we had this um, um, cinema, oh, sorry, um, photography point around my uni then. So we went there, took a picture together, and I brought it, and I just stuck it in my corner. That says it all, you know. And I put it there, and then she called me the next morning that she can't pray because she's looking at that picture. <laughs> and it was so, it was hard. It was very, very hard. You know, she said, every time she looked at the picture that I sat into him in a funny way and we're not even married yet. It was, it was such a time and a half. And I remember, and I just called P1 and I said, you know, I'm not interested in relationship anymore. I said, I'm tired. I'm a very easygoing, simple person. I don't like stress. So if anything's going to come to stress, I'll just stay out of it. So he said, okay, because? I said, because my roommate is judging me. All the people in CU are judging me because in Christian, you know, which is my group, they said, I am dating an unbeliever. 
This one that is here say I have now backslided. So it was so everybody in court in my head, in my 19-year-old head or 20-year-old head, everybody was against me. It was, yeah, I know that's how I felt. I said, Isn't that you feel it again? <laughs> you know, so so sometimes, as and I said that, and eventually I got it. Yes, I found it pressurizing, but I got it. I got what the girl was trying to say, which she couldn't say properly, which is, as a leader, what you do matters. As a leader, I didn't explain to the girl that the relationship has moved beyond friendship. So from one minute, I told her we're friends, and then some months later, I took a picture sitting into this brother, and she's thinking, she's on her way to hell, I have to deliver her. She, was, she meant very, very well, although it was delivered differently. But as a leader, you don't live for yourself. I, I feel like doing this, I can do this. This is, I didn't know this is my life. God knows I'm not doing anything wrong. And true, God knows. God knew and God knew I wasn't doing anything. In fact, I remember one day I went to pray. I was praying I was like, I said, God, boy, you know me. Why would you let people have this negative impression of me when you know me and you know what I would do and what I wouldn't do? I actually felt that God let me down by allowing all the pressure come on me at that time. I mean, like, you know, in the world of a 19, 20 year old, like everything is a big issue. And I said, that's, and that was the biggest issue ever. Bigger than even passing and qualifying as an accountant. <laughs> you know, but as a leader, you influence people. That's another way we influence people. So you occupy a position which you need to be very careful about. It's a place of privilege. So you can't just do what you feel like doing. You know, Paul said, um, if I want to eat meat, I can eat meat. But I wouldn't eat meat because it can make somebody else fall. So as a believer and as a leader, as an influential person who will always command God's help at any point in time, ask yourself the question, who is this affecting negatively? I actually ask myself the question. So there are some things I could very easily do them. There's no, they're not wrong. But if they make somebody else sleep and fall, what have I achieved? The next one is followers' influence. I can never forget this. So we always think it's only leaders that have influence, but followers have influence. I remember listening to a message ages ago as a young believer titled The People's Problem. I can never forget that Saul fell because of the people's problem. Every time, every time Saul is pulled up about something, when I study about Saul, you realize it. Every time Saul is pulled up about anything whatsoever, I said the people said. So I did, the people said. So when, when, when he was totally rejected by God, Samuel said, why did you sacrifice? When a, the, the, the prophet hadn't come, said, but the people were asking for it. The people said, followers can let leaders fall. Because in quote, leaders think the followers' ears are so close to the people. And if you're not careful, you hear more of the people than you hear of God. So as a person, I remember I used to say then, when I was in my uh, previous church, my pastor was single. And I remember I was one of the ministers. I was the only female minister for a long, long time. And I remember I used to, he used to want to hear the view of the ladies from me. And I, want, I, told, I, kept, I prayed the prayer repeatedly, Lord, may I not make my pastor make a decision that is anti your plan for, him, for, for the ladies of the church. So I felt so responsible. So if pastor said, so as a woman, what do you think about? What will the women think about? I run away from answering that question because I don't want to be the one to give my leader a piece of information that I will make a decision on that would then affect generations. 
And there were many people like that in the Bible. Saul's case is a big, big one. You know, Saul and Samuel, also the Israelites and Samuel. The Israelites were going to derail Samuel. In fact, they did because they kept saying, give us a king like everybody else. We don't want God as our king anymore. And they said it so much. He got so stressed. He had to go to God and say, God, they've rejected you. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And sometimes your ears are so, too close to the ground that they are far away from heaven. And you have to be very careful so that the enemy doesn't take advantage of you. If you're going to be a person that God will help consistently and continuously, you have to be very mindful of these things. The very, very last one among those influences is worldly influence or majority influence. Majority influence. Some of us fall into the problem of majority influence, worldly influence. Uh, you want to do things because everybody else is doing it. You don't want to go the other way when everybody else is going a particular way. Uh, the Bible made us understand that we should be warned Against such, it's Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, 1 Kings 22, 13 to 27. There's a gentleman in the Bible called Demas. Demas was a guy that was working with Paul um, in 2 Timothy, if you read about him, chapter 4, verse 10. D Demas was like a pastor. He was at that level, he was the next pastor. But by popular demand and what was happening around him, he decided to backslide. Worldly demands or worldly influences. The question to ask yourself on a continuous basis and the prayer to pray for yourself on a continuous basis is, God, let me not be influenced negatively by the things around me. So that then takes me to the next, which is the problems of ungodly influence. I'm going to talk to you about the power of godly influence because that is what will constantly generate the help of God continually upon your life. But I just need to at least give you an idea where the influences come from because if you don't know that influences are coming from areas, you will be blindsided. You wouldn't know that you might run into trouble. So what is the problem of ungodly influence? You know, if you read um, Psalm chapter 1, it talks about blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not walk with the ungodly. But how do we save them if we don't walk with them? I hear you say. There are a few things that is a problem of walking with the ungodly or getting influences from an ungodly person. The very first one, it is not easy to notice that you are being influenced. It is not easy. It's so subtle because influence, like I said earlier, is not a physical forceful pressure. It's an unknown pressure. It's, it's a subtle pressure that has physical effects down the line. So if you are not careful, the problem, one of the greatest problems of ungodly influence, and ungodly influence can happen in church because sometimes we think, ungodly, well, I don't have any unbeliever friends, and that's fantastic. But the question is, how much value other people around you had in, adding to you. I've, I've shared numerous times before how um, a particular lady used to come visit with us. She will, it's interesting to note that it wasn't me she was visiting with, but she was visiting my family. And she would bring carrot cake. I don't really eat cake, nor carrot. So that kind of tells you who eats carrot cake. <laughs> but it's deemed that this girl is coming to visit me. She comes with her husband, and they go on talking and talking, and they can talk to their kingdom. And, it, and it's great. I, I love guests. I don't have a problem with guests, but I hate arguments. I hate people raising their voices. And I mean, so she does it's not a natural way of talking. This particular lady is by her voice goes off a bit, you know. So, and for me, from the time they come, I start having a headache because 
don't forget I said to you, I don't fight. I don't stress. I don't fight. So there are some things that just don't gel with me. So she will raise her voice. Her husband will raise the voice above her. I mean, it's just, they're not fighting. They're just conversing. But they're conversing in my home, um, which is a problem. And then, in our make it worse, as time went on, I realized I was knowing things about some pastors I don't want to know. Oh, that pastor that is in, a pastor I knew in Lagos, a pastor I knew in America, a pastor I knew, you know. So when the pastor came, I was the, some, something that was working with the PA of the pastor. So I know, I know him, I know him, what he says is not what, I don't, and then the, the next time I saw that pastor on TV, I started acting for, I said, no, I don't like this. I don't like this. A seed has been sown in my heart that is not from me. So by the time P said, well, this is your friend. I, I can't do this too much. Uh, I can't do this again because we know why God is helping and blessing us. Our home is not designed for this. So tell your friend to stop coming. When it goes wrong, the person becomes my friend. <laughs> when it's going very well, the person is either our or P's friend. <laughs> Most of the time, it's P's friend. A lot of people call his friends, they were my friends. <laughs> But it doesn't matter, that's for another day. <laughs> and then we talk about friendship and how to make them. Okay, he said I don't know how to keep friends, so he keeps them on my behalf. But, <laughs> but he doesn't know how to make friends. He said I don't know how to keep friends. So, so I make them, he keeps them. And then they become his friend. And I, I have to be reminding them, you knew me first. <laughs> so this girl had to be told not to visit with us anymore because the subtle influence she was giving to me or passing across to me or to my family was not, it was picked up, but it was picked up a lot later. So I'm not talking, you know, sometimes when we talk about that story, you think it's like the second week she came. No, 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 no. It's been over six months. Six months of consistently eating carrot cake every Sunday. You can imagine. And the girl is a great cook. And if you know me, I don't really, I'm not a great cook. So, I mean, if you will leave me in the kitchen, oh, by all means, come all you like. But the, 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 the cost outweighed the benefit. It was just too much. It was stressful. And it was unhealthy. So ungodly relationships or influences can be very unhealthy but not easily noticed. The next one, it spreads really fast. It spreads very, very fast. Be very careful. I have again shared my story before. I worked in a Christian organization. When I got the job, it was the best thing that happened to me. You know, like... I mean, God, why do you love me so much? You gave me this kind of job. And I mean, a job you get to work in the morning. We resume 9.15 because we pray from 9 to 9.15. No, we pray 9.15 to 9.30. So work doesn't start until 9.30. Can you imagine working in a place where you come and you pray? And then lunch hour, we have 15 minutes prayer time. We have a prayer room. Um, we have counseling time. If you, you know, I mean, this is godly Christian heaven. I mean, it doesn't get any better. And then you still get paid salary for doing that. And you're walking among Christians. Everybody's just so, I mean, kind. Until I go to prayer group or prayer meeting. It's, you know, quarter to 12 to 1 o'clock. It's compulsory. It's, well, it's not compulsory, but the prayer room is there. And then I'll go there and then I'll hear a prayer point about a particular department leader. And it's not a prayer point anymore because now I know about the department leader and the fact that she's dating another person and the fact that, and the fact that she's smoking and the fact that her child is this. And, the fact, and I just knew too much. So let's pray for her. After all that story. So we wrap it up with the Christian thing. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> I told you, my, my shenanigans is not too much among unbelievers. My shenanigans always been among believers because that's what I move around. And that's why you have, to, even amongst believers, you need to be very mindful. And I just realized that my, I get home and I say to Eddie, I said, I just don't know what's going on. When I see this person, I just see them. I don't see things the way I used to see them. And in fact, there was a particular girl they were praying for. She was leaving. I said, oh, leaving. How can a Christian ever leave this place? I mean, you're well paid. You're doing the kingdom work. You're amongst kingdom people. And it's just brilliant. So I met her in the bathroom. And I was saying to her, it's such a shame you're leaving. You're leaving to go to, she mentioned the organization. I knew the organization. I said, oh, that's such a shame. But it wasn't a Christian organization, a big media house that is not a Christian one. So I said, she said, oh, you just came. That's why you don't know anything yet. Yeah, she's washing her hand and she's telling me all this like, when you get to know them properly, you will know that this Christianity thing is just, just killed everybody. Just kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them. I walked out of the bathroom. And I just thought, is this where God brought me? So, as you know, but the way I see, I'm a glass half full person. So I said, thank God she's gone from here. She's spoiling the kingdom. I'm here, you know. But I realized if I wasn't careful, I will hear that. Maybe a disgruntled person who is disgruntled about what their department leader is saying. All of a sudden, the whole organization is rubbish. And then they pull down and pull down and pull down. Be very careful. Ungodly influence spreads really, really fast. And it took me a while. In fact, at some point, I stopped going for prayer meeting. Would you believe that? It took me a while to stop the influence that those words were having on me. The next one, it enslaves and entangles. Ungodly influences are very, very quick at enslaving and entangling you. If you're associating with somebody that is, you know, maybe showing you or taking you down a route, it doesn't take long for sin to entangle someone. It's so difficult to come out of it, and it's so easy to get into sin. Be careful. Ungodly influences entangles and enslaves you. You become a slave to that thing. And you know, the Bible says he has set us free. Why are we yet slaves? We're not called to be slaves to anybody or anything. So I want you to be very, very careful about ungodly people around you. It hinders and it corrupts your positive influence. If you have positive influences around you and you have ungodly influence around you, the negative influence you have around you, it hinders the positives. It's very difficult to see God when you're in the wrong place. It's very difficult to hear God when you're in the wrong place. It's very difficult to remember your parents' instructions when you're in the wrong place. So difficult. So, so difficult. I remember, I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to move to the power of godly influence. I remember when I was, um, my very first experience living, well, it wasn't first experience, but anyway. So, I was in a uni. I told you before that I love dancing, and I could, you know, I could dance for the nation. So, I was the only one I knew that would go to a party on, I don't know, any science student that goes to parties on Saturday, Sunday, Monday nights. Tuesday night, if there's only one girl that is in the whole party, it would be me. I don't know what my problem was. My parents didn't even stop me from. I just didn't when I was young. And all of a sudden, like, freedom, this is uni. So I just kept, I'm off. And on a particular day, I remember very clearly, I went for this party. And I got there, and I looked at the kind of people in the party. And I just looked at myself. And I said, what am I doing here? And then I was requesting someone to take me back, and nobody was going to take me back until morning. Now, morning is 6 o'clock, where prayer, prayer, people are going to pray. They will see me coming from a, a party, and I said I was a Christian. So I was looking for someone that would get me to uni back, you know, like 4, when it's not bright yet. 
And nobody did. Nobody did. And I had great godly people around me. I said, that night, do you know what? I just look at my life. I said, what is wrong with you? You know, I had to talk to myself. Because I was now dodging and hiding. Dodging and hiding. And as I was coming, the one sister saw me say, Sister Bola. <laughs> well, God had such great plans for me. He didn't let me go too far out, you know. <laughs> It was so bad. They didn't even call me Bola. The guys that were with me look at me like, what, sister, what? <laughs> so be very careful with ungodly influences around you. However, let's go to the power of godly influence. Because that is the key thing that you must take away from this message. That is, when you are a godly, positive, God-disciplined influence on somebody, God cannot but help you always. The very first thing to note about godly influence. It's, it is possible. And don't say, oh, I don't meet with anybody. I don't relate with anybody. No. Even the people you relate to, within the category I've mentioned earlier, you can influence somebody positively. Godly influence creates preserving power. That's why God loves people that shows godly influence. Preserving power. That's the first power of godly influence. You know, the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 that we are the light and the salt of the world. We preserve this world. If you're in a place, I don't know if you remember in January, pastor said, because of you, that we should be praying and waiting upon the Lord one day a month for our organization. Because of you, God will preserve that organization. Brexit or no Brexit, that organization will survive because you're there, preserving power. Bible made us understand that even God is preserving the whole world right now because of us, the believers, and the Holy Spirit that is here. So when it's time for destruction, it will take us away and take the Holy Spirit away, and then everything will let loose. Let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the one that is preserving. So every time you're a positive influence to somebody in an organization, in an area, in an environment, know that you create preserving power there. The next power that is released through you is saving power. Saving power. People get saved by looking at other believers' lives. And that will please God. He said, go and make disciples of all the church. He said, I will then be with you. You go and do it, and then I will be with you. You release yourself for you to be used to bring salvation to the lives of many. If you look at the gentleman, Paul, he touched Onesimus' life in prison. You can read that later, Philippians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. He touched Onesimus' life in prison. He saved his life, even though he was in prison. When you're a positive influence of somebody, people get born again just because of you. I know people that have looked at people and got born again. Pastor Eddie was one of them. He got to a church one day and just saw everybody, everybody was just happy. And the saving power of God was released upon him just because somebody just showed happiness, joy, just because an usher hugged somebody. What, he did, what you didn't know is that his sister, his younger sister, the older younger sister, she's been saved since secondary school and she's been every single day praying for every one of her brothers. Every single day. So by the time he got there, he just thought, oh, because he hung around the guy and they got to church and he just saw people hugging. No, 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 no. It is the person that I've provided the preserving power earlier in the place of prayer. So it was harvest time. The next one is encouraging power. There is a way you live your life as a believer that encourages other people. When you, the power of positive influence, it creates encouraging power to other people. Daniel lived his life in such a way that the four Hebrew boys or the other three Hebrew boys, they didn't feel they needed to fall in Babylon. 
they could stand and rise in Babylon because of what Daniel did. Every time you choose for God, every time you are a positive influence on other people, it creates a lot of encouragement for other people. There's a particular lady I know in my previous church. She said someone walked up to her one day and said, just seeing she's an usher, she has a million dollar smile. She just, she gives you this absolutely beautiful, beautiful smile. She's a very fair lady. She just said, I just give you this smile. She might not remember you after that, but she gives you this smile. She said, so some, some lady walked up to her and said, do you know you are the one that got me saved? Just looking at you with a smile makes me feel encouraged. I was going through such a rough time. I didn't believe that God can love me just because you kept smiling. And I always say to people, you might have challenges, but remember, there are other people that also equally have challenges, but they're looking at you and they're thinking, if you're still standing despite your challenge, that means, I, that means I can do it. But some of us make sure that that challenge pushes us away from God. The moment you leave your space, the devil then plays on somebody else's heart. Someone knows you've gone through this and you're still standing and you're still talking about Jesus like this, by all means, this Jesus must be really real. I once knew of a particular lady who lost her husband in a very, very, very tough uh, circumstance, really tough. She was in a prayer group um, in my previous church in Nigeria. And the gentleman was equally in a prayer group, and it was just the worst thing that could happen. They're a young couple. They've been believing God for a child for a long time, and then she got pregnant, and then an armed robber came to their home and decided to take the a car, the car that was not even a nice car. He took the car, worst thing, he decided he wanted to fight them for the car. They shot him and they killed him there and there. He was in a prayer group as well. And they took the car and they took it just down the road and then robbed another car and they didn't even take the car. But I saw this woman go through this and her faith did not shake once. She will be crying, she will be calling God's name. She will be crying, she will be speaking so many scriptures. And I said to myself, if she could go through this and be like this, I will serve this Jesus till thy kingdom come. Subsequently, we went back to Africa not long ago, and I met her because she's still in church. Uh, and I met her, she's you know, remarried now, had you know, two or three other children. She's doing so, so well. But I, I, and I said to her, I said, uh, I, mean, I called her and I said, you don't know how many of us younger believers you encouraged that day, that season, that period. You don't know how many people's lives you touch every time you decide to be a godly influence to somebody. The next thing there, which is where I'm going to stop tonight, is an evangelistic power. And I mentioned that earlier. When you are a godly influence to someone, you bring them to Christ. I want to end by talking about the fact that when Jesus was going to live in Matthew chapter 28, which we read earlier, he said, look, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, then baptize them. He said, then I will be with you. This thing matters to me so much. You just do it and let me sort you out. That's just the baseline of what he said. You just be a disciple, make a disciple, and let me sort you out. So my thoughts to you today, my words to you today is divine help is a possibility. Not necessarily by proclamation, because you're not Jewish, but by proclamation as well, because you can stand in that place and take it. But we can provoke it. There is not a single blessing in the word of God that you can't provoke. And if you choose to be a positive influence to the people around you, the power of God will be reflected in all the things you do and it will bring them close to God and God will be happy. The Bible says that there is much rejoicing in heaven for every sinner that is saved. You know what that means? That is every time you do your bit, 
in helping somebody become a believer or stand as a believer or get stay grounded as a believer, the whole heaven stands up and give a round of applause. So do something for me today. Stand up, everybody. Because I want us to do that so you will remember. God wants to help you and I. Go back to that Deuteronomy chapter 33 and read it again. He said he will ride upon the winds to help us. He said he will bless our ground. He said he would bless it with water as well. He said then he will protect us. He said he will be our helper and no harm will come near us. That's what God said he would do. But it's dependent on something. It's dependent on us doing our bit, which is go out and make disciples. When you go out and you share God's word with somebody, help somebody grow, help somebody stand, help somebody stay deep in him, God himself is happy with you. Heaven rejoice and clap. So put your Bible down. And we're going to put our hands together. And I want you to always remember this. Every time you help a disciple get saved, grow, or stand in Christ, this is what Evan does. So it's time to put our hands together. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Heavens will clap for you in Jesus' name. Every day of your life, as you step out and you influence people positively, heavens will clap for you in the name of Jesus. You will make God's heart glad and he will reward you abundantly. In Jesus' precious name we've prayed. Amen and amen. Put your hands together for the Lord and take your seats. Amen.